our current party leader is uh, leaving his position at the um, end of 2019. All right. Uh, and we just had elections last week. Uh, and <laughs> ta-da. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, damn. Let, so, me, <laughs> let me change my tone. I'm sitting here with a party leader. <clears throat> yeah, um, so it's actually, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Congratulations. Wow. So, so uh, from uh, January, I will lead the Pirate Party. My name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. We all come from somewhere and aim to make a journey through life. Constant change. This is an open-ended exploration of our ability and desire to learn, grow, and adapt. In conversation with inspiring individuals and experts in the fields of sciences, technology, behavior, and performance, We seek to find answers to how to navigate and win in this information age. The future is happening now, and we aspire to evenly distribute the knowledge by empowering your learnability. Let's go. Hello, Katerina. Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much. How was your trip to Kampala? Oh yeah, yeah. I got back this. Uh, I got back on Monday morning at like seven in the morning, and then I had to go straight to to the school to teach for a whole day. That oh, was uh, kind of <laughs> tough after a night of flight. But except for that, it was a very nice trip. So yeah, we were there for a week for the Kampala Innovation Week. Yeah, uh, that was the the main uh, purpose. So we were invited by the Swedish Embassy in yeah. Kampala to. Yeah participate um, and uh, Kampala Innovation Week is a three-day event, a oh, startup yeah. event, uh, mainly with Ugandan entrepreneurs, yes. but uh, we were we were together with two other Swedish startups invited because we are uh, Swedish startups active in Uganda. Oh yeah. So uh, it, was, it was really nice. That's a perfect cliffhanger to what you do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that hanging in the air. We will explore your path. So you're the founder of an edtech startup, amongst a lot of things. But let's start off with how you got into what you're into today. So could you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe your upbringing, early career and leading up till today? Yeah, sure. So I'm, um, I'm born in Örebro, so a Swedish town, just a couple of hours from Stockholm. So I spent most of my young uh, years there or in a small town. Also lived a few years in a small town called Nora, Nora. in, in, in Bergslagen, north of Örebro. But I also spent some time abroad. My, my dad is an architect but has been working uh, with, for example, cultural heritage. In, uh, so I lived in Bosnia for a half a year when I was 11 and oh. been also after I graduated. Um, high school I lived a year in Ireland in Dublin and so I really uh, and also spent a few months actually actually in Libya where my where my dad was also working and this was just before the the revolution when it was still uh, during Gaddafi's time yeah so you got a lot of exposure to different countries and cultures I'm guessing at a young age yeah And I think that's uh, that's been really good. It's not that like when I was 11, I wasn't really thinking about, oh, this is this is giving me a <laughs> perspective <laughs> no, on life. Of but, course. but it it does uh, give you give you some perspective. 
Uh, otherwise, I, I guess I was, uh, I've been, always had quite an easy time in school. I love sports, so I was doing sports uh, my whole life. In my teenage years, I was doing athletics like five, six days a week. That was, my life was school and athletics, basically. What were you best at, like, uh, athletics-wise? Um, high jump, I would say. Oh, I'm, I'm tall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can see that. Yeah, but I did uh, I did heptathlon, so I did all the, like... Um, all of it combined, yeah. sort of. Wow, that's uh, good training. Like, yes. getting that diverse training. Yeah. So you were working out almost uh, every day of the, the week. Did you learn anything from that experience as well? We've been talking a lot about training in large and the connection to like learning the process of progress and discipline. Do you believe you got that from that? Yeah, I think I do in, uh, in some way, especially this kind of starting to set goals for yourself. Yeah. But also getting disappointed because you oh, don't reach yeah. your goals. Learning you know? to fail. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. But also seeing that if you really... If you really do your best, you actually see progress as well. So I, I guess in that way, it, it did help me. Um, and also, I think there are things like, there's a, I still have a quote from my coach that he used to say. Let me see if I can translate it to English. He used to say, never say I can't. Say I can, I can learn or I can try. And it's maybe a bit of a cliche, but it's actually true. <laughs> no, I think it's very important, like the way you frame the words you use. We've been talking about like negative self-talk and changing I can't to I can learn or I can try. It's a big step. It's really a big step. And, and even connecting it to like proactive language versus reactive language. Mm. So I don't think it's a small lesson you learned there. It's actually could have life changing effects in the long run. Yeah, I mean, it's it has stayed with me, so apparently yeah. it, it meant something to yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. When did you move from Örebro? Yeah, so after I finished high school, I moved straight away to Dublin. I, I just wanted to leave uh, Örebro because it it's kind of a small town and uh, I just felt that I needed something else. So I actually went as an au pair to Dublin because then I just had to get the flight t- ticket and everything was there for me. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, but then I, uh, so I w- worked as an au pair for like four months, but uh, I didn't really, I, I love the kids. Mm. I didn't really like the situation, the parents and so on. So I, uh, then I just um, found an apartment or I, I shared an apartment with a Brazilian girl, a Mexican girl, and a Polish girl. Wow. So we had a lot of, <laughs> lot of fun. It was really like this kind of, uh, the Brazilian teaching us uh, to dance uh, oh, yeah. salsa <laughs> in the evenings. And I was making pancakes and, you know, um, kind of sharing experiences. So that was nice. The Mexican girl were still good friends. Um, Lovely. Yeah. How long were you there in Dublin? I was there for about nine months, so uh, I was working in a shoe shop, kind of. And uh, but then <laughs> I actually got uh, I got iron deficiency, so I got really I got really bad. Uh, I was that from like just a diet? It must have been because yeah. there was nothing like there was nothing wrong with me. But when I got home and I went to the doctors, they sent me right to the emergency because they'd never seen anyone with such uh, low uh, levels without that hadn't lost blood in some way. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, but then, uh, so it must have been from from not eating oh, very yeah. well. I think I was kind of poor, so I didn't. I was um, just eating yeah. like simple, whatever you very, got, very simple. Like <laughs> I recognize that type of uh, move. I I lived in London for a while, ah. and it was working random jobs and <laughs> being broke basically. Yeah, <laughs> for almost a year. Yeah, being so broke that. but having fun. Yeah, exactly, and getting <laughs> new experiences. Yeah. So you decided to move home. Yeah. I'm guessing half forced maybe by parents. No, actually this was, I had also applied to KTH. This was in the spring. So I just got the the news that I was going to start in the autumn. And uh, then that was also the time that my dad was working in Libya. So I was planning to go there over the summer before I started um, my studies. Uh, But I was going to go home before but uh, and I had to stay home a few extra weeks uh, to get my iron levels right but then I went to Libya as I was there for like one and a half months or so Um, and that was also a really cool experience yeah yeah (laughs) is he how long was he there it sounds like he he's been there for a while in Libya yeah he was there for one and a half years I think or two years yeah as an architect yeah so and you got into KTH yes what was your thought when you applied and when you started? What was your plans or ambitions maybe at that stage? Yeah, I didn't really have ambitions in that way. I was um, in the last year of high school when we had like the last course uh, of physics. I started to feel like that was actually exciting. And before that, the physics is mostly like mechanics and electricity stuff. It's not so much fun, but at the end, you kind of get to the interesting physics, the, the modern physics, mm-hmm. like nuclear physics, or get to hear about that light can be a particle in a wave and all these kind of, um, kind of fascinating because mm-hmm. you don't really understand how it works. It's not just about like learning the formulas. It's like, this is something new that's... Um, yeah, it felt like I wanted to know more about it. Oh, yeah. Like I wasn't done. <laughs> oh yeah, there's so much unanswered in physics. Like you're still figuring stuff out. You have some answers, but then you need to combine different information to find new stuff. There's always new stuff to be found. Yeah, and I think also these kind of areas were, were are still explored. I don't know if I, if I knew that at that time, but it just wasn't as clear. And also like the teacher, physics teacher in the high school couldn't also not really answer questions further than what the book could could do, (laughs) you know? So um, then I decided I wanted to study physics and then I found the engineering physics program at KTH and I actually didn't know much about it um, more than I had looked through the courses and I saw that, oh, here in year two, there's a course in modern physics. Mm. There's uh, lots of math before that, but <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll just go through that and we'll get to the, the modern physics. So that was uh, my only, uh, yeah. And I also thought that maybe it's smarter to do engineering physics than to do just physics because in case I get tired of the physics, I Mm. could probably still get a job. Oh yeah, (laughs) it's more, uh, it's closer to the um, job market, engineering physics. Yeah. So if you take physics, you're more going into academia. Is that right? Correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, Furthering your research work and, and engineering physics, you can choose. Yeah. Just to get a picture, yeah? Yes. In engineering physics, uh, there are lots of different master's program, everything from the fundamental physics to uh, applied mathematics, mm-hmm. like um, financial mathematics, for example, or mechanics or 
yeah, so there are lots of different areas you can go into or artificial intelligence or whatever. Really exciting stuff, all of it. <laughs> I really liked hearing how you got into it. And I want to ask you if you would be able to give us like a short pitch for picking uh, engineering physics for the like young girl or boy listening to this or the parent trying to encourage their kid. Yeah, I mean, um, it's really the best education I think you can choose if you want to be a good problem solver. Mm. Uh, Utilizing your curiosity and, uh, yes, solving unknown. Yeah, and actually it's it's uh, like having the fundamental math and and practicing by practicing on physics problem. That's actually a very, very good way to get as like a systematic approach to problems so you don't randomly try to find an answer but actually have a um, method of getting there so it's it's really good in that way i uh also this what i already mentioned that you have lots of different options uh you can go to into lots of different um, careers yeah. it's a very good thing about it as well it's it's kind of tough but it's not that it's it's a very nice atmosphere there was never Like, it's a very supportive atmosphere, I felt. Not very competitive, like hear about some other programs. That's a really good pitch. Being able to utilize your curiosity, explore, and explore with some sort of framework to get to answers. So you can explore freely, but this sort of empirical thinking, getting that in in, a, in an early stage and working with that. Do you apply that type of thinking in not everything you do, but outside of academia or research definitely i mean i think that's uh like i don't i don't use a lot of the the the, the facts or the equations or whatever that i learned during the um during my education i don't use that very much in my everyday life but i do use uh the the systematics for for problem solving and i also another thing that you really learn is to not be afraid of problems that seem impossible mm. kind of at first glance like because you get so used to looking at a problem and it feels like i have no idea how to solve this but then you apply the systematic approach yes. and eventually you you solve it so and after doing that so many times for these five years you kind of get to the point where you see a problem. Okay, I don't know how to solve this, but uh, I can probably solve it. Yeah, there must be a system for it. I just yeah. don't have it yet. Yeah. I like that. So you studied for these years. While you were studying, are you figuring out what you want to do with this education? Or how did you come to what you later came to do? No, I don't think I... Well, you think a little bit about it, but... I I didn't really plan that far ahead. I've never been the kind of person who plan far ahead. I mostly just do whatever I feel is uh, interesting. Um, but I did get to kind of, I started getting involved. I think it was my third year I started getting involved in Women Engineer, which is a nonprofit organization that works to inspire more girls to choose engineering. Yes, that's um, why I asked you to pitch it. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's something we can do, actually inspire more uh, young girls to, yeah. to go, get into that. 
Yeah, I think so too. And that was kind of my my reason why I got involved is because I I since I wasn't that sure about it when I started, I didn't know much about it, but I was so happy that I chose it anyway. So it was like I don't want anyone else to miss this yes. opportunity. <laughs> it might be their dream uh, job or dream uh, education, but they don't they don't know because they have a like a, not the true view of what this actually is exactly. what engineering is i think exposure is a big thing like being exposed to it in a way where you actually receive the information or receive the uh, because what you have to do when someone's telling you about engineering is envisioning yourself and of course it helps if it's someone you can relate to or just breaking through yeah just associating it with something uh that's maybe not i mean a lot of young people they don't even associate engineering with anything or they they associate it with i don't know um some abstract <laughs> uh, sciency stuff <laughs> yeah either that or like a more like a builder or you know oh okay oh yeah exactly a constructor or yeah, something yeah yeah so i got involved in that and i was the project manager for women engineer for a couple of years and that gave me a lot of good experience it was kind of my first real leadership mm-hmm. kind of experience and managing projects and we started an event called uh, Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day uh which is still running I'm not involved anymore but it's like going for the sixth year or something now we had a little bit to do uh, last year I worked at Invest Stockholm mm. and we had a little bit to do with that last year that's how I got to know about it oh nice uh, really like the program ah cool yeah i think i really i really like the uh like it because or I like the idea very much when we when we have the idea because it's scalable. Yes. And I yes. have a thing for scalable ideas <laughs> uh, that you can really because if you're going to organize an event yourself that's really hard to scale, but in this case it's like we just involve lots of companies yes. around the country in in organize like inviting girls to their workplace um to see what it's like to be an engineer and uh, that that can just grow i mean there are so many companies and yeah exactly and it's such a win-win experience for the company and for the the young girl uh, so i can really see it scaling uh, because of that mm. it's a a product with a market fit yeah i think so too and you can see that because the first year we had like Uh, I think 280 or 300 girls or something participating and I think 12 companies and last year it was almost 2000 girls and like f- almost I think it was like 50 companies so it's um, and 50 companies is not a, a huge numbers so there is space to grow a lot it, it's it's big and 2000 is big but I'm just envisioning that wow that can grow a lot more if more companies get involved yeah. so get involved <laughs> yeah. visit igeday.com yeah igeday.com yes good good that we got that in <laughs> yeah so you got the exposure of maybe coming out more i'm guessing and and being a project leader communicating cuz i get that you're very good at communicating today communicating engineering uh, pitching and and selling your business and more of that entrepreneurial um touch with the engineering yeah i mean that was uh, i really i i used to be i used to have very big stage fright actually right. so yeah. it was it was good practice to start um because a few times i had to go and present to i don't know 
So that was a good practice. And also I got a lot of connections in the industry and in academia. So yeah, it, it was very positive in many, many ways. I can't imagine you having straight stage fright because the first time we met was actually at the Gather um, Neues Gaiden event. Yeah. Where I was moderating a small event that you're part of the panel of. And you did a great job in presenting and, and talking about your uh, ideas. Thank you. Yeah, I've, yeah, I really practice now. So yeah. I think I'm much better. <laughs> When did you come to be interested in EdTech? Was it close to this project or what happened in between? Yeah, no, actually, um, when, after, my, after I graduated at engineering physics, I, or actually before I graduated, I was doing my, my master thesis work in a research group at yeah. KTH uh, in applied physics. And I, it was a really interesting area of research. It's uh, called quantum optics. Um, so it's a, like fundamental physics of light, right. basically, and how light behaves. So we're working in the lab with lasers and stuff. And um, I, I really enjoyed that physics. And then I got the chance to start a PhD there in the, in the group. So that's what I did after my um, graduation. I started a PhD. In physics. In physics. Yes. And then I actually quit all my engagements in women engineer because I wanted to focus on 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 the research. And that worked for about uh three months. <laughs> and then I I couldn't stand just doing one thing. I <laughs> needed some something where I kind of felt like I wanted to do something more. And uh, then I read about A competition mm-hmm. that was uh, called uh, Global Learning X Prize. Okay. So X Prize is this organi- organization that arranges all these kind of grand uh, competitions to solve global problems. And this one was about learning. So um, I read about it and I thought it sounded super interesting. So I actually managed to gather a little small team and we signed up. From KTH, the team? Uh, most of them. Yes. But then we started doing research and we kind of after a while realized that what they were looking for in the competition wasn't really what was needed. So you joined this competition uh, thinking let's solve uh, a problem within education and you start working to solve this problem but realize hey there's a bigger problem over here or a better solution over here. Is that sort of what happened? Yeah or it, it was rather that We didn't change the problem. We were attacking the same problem, but we realized that the way they wanted to solve it in the competition Mm. was maybe not the best way to solve it. So tell us about the company. Um, I was going to ask you to tell about the the competition, but it's rather the company I'm interested of. What was your solution? Yeah, so basically in uh, the competition, it was about creating educational apps uh, for practicing reading and writing and mathematics for children in um, developing countries. Yeah. And that is the same problem that we are working on now. But what we realized was that there are already lots of great digital educational content out and around the world that has been developed by researchers or it has been well tested and We know that it's actually working and yes. people spend a lot of time and energy on, on making it. But the problem is rather that the 
the children who maybe need it the most, it's not available to them. So that's the rather the problem that we needed to solve. Not creating the content or the educational content is actually reaching the person in need of it. Yes. So uh, that's what we're trying to to do. Uh, so we actually what we're developing is like an educational platform. Yes. Uh, where we work with already existing uh, organizations. Yeah. And what type of organizations are that? So it can be both nonprofits or uh, for-profit companies, app studios or uh, research groups mm-hmm. or individuals also sometimes. And then we we have like a modular platform so we can connect learning games to our platform and uh, then we work with our partners to try to adapt it to our target group, yeah. specifically culturally, like what words are we using, what designs are we using, is this... Uh, relevant to them. To really make the learnings applicable for the person getting them, it needs to be tweaked maybe uh, to be relevant, like you're saying. Yeah, I usually give an example because I think it's so uh, obvious when you you, uh, see this example. There was one of our partners that we work with that have a spelling game and they're working towards the American market. So there's one a word that you're supposed to spell is cab. Mm. And then there's a picture of a yellow New York taxi. And this is just, you can't use this in Uganda where we were. Because (laughs) they don't use, for once they use British English, so they they don't even use the word cab. And they have never seen a yellow one. No, it's a boda boda. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. They should spell boda instead. I think that would be better. (laughs) That's a really good example. And we've spoken about it before and like how that happens in AI when you're developing AI and you develop it with a certain perspective or a certain data set that's biased towards the market and you don't really think about the receiver. So you're here focusing on the receiver. Exactly. And the cultural aspect is one thing, but then it's also like it has to be physically available to them. Yes. So uh, we also have to think about on what what devices is this going to be used um, and in what way? Because schools in in Uganda, for example, in general, they don't have uh, computers or tabs or anything. They they have don't even have resources for teachers or books in okay. many cases. So you can't really target a school with an edtech product in that. Then you would only reach like the the expensive private schools anyway. At this point, it might change in the future. We'll yeah. see. But more and more parents have a smartphone. So that's the devices that are already out there. That's how we are seeing our application being used. That's great because it's in the parents' interest to educate their kid, of course. And yeah, borrow your kid your phone for an hour or two and uh, fill the Chichesa app. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Chichesa, yeah. Chichesa with uh, uh, great content mm-hmm. and they can be learning. So that's a good way of reaching um, yeah, the person in need. Yeah, but then we also have. It's very important to think about things like it has to work mainly offline because data is expensive and the connection is not always great. So there are also a lot of lots of those practical aspects that we're taking into account. And where would you say that you are today? What did you get from the innovation week, and in in what stage of the business are you today? Yeah, so we have a. Beta that's out on on Play Store that we've been testing uh, now during the spring mainly, and right now we're working on testing some prototypes for new functionality in the app that will allow us to to scale mm-hmm. because you can't just put 
we want the kids to have access to lots of content, but we can't just put lots of content in the app because it'll be too big. Oh, yeah. So once again, adapting to the market and the user. Yes. And Mark's working on the like payment solution, those kind of things. And hopefully we'll be able to. So we're like before uh, revenue still, but hoping to get there next year. I'm also a big fan of EdTech. Um, we've spoken about this before, but I want to hear why do you believe this is the solution? Technology for enhancing or enabling in, in many cases, education. Why technology? I guess is the question. Yeah, I don't think technology is the solution. I think it's part of the solution. Um, and why? I mean, technology has always been something that enhances humans. I mean, technology is like the most human thing because it's kind of what separates us from other animals yeah. is that we use tools mm. uh, that enhance our abilities. And these kind of educational tools are also have that purpose of course that we can do things that we couldn't do without it then i still think that uh schools and teachers uh, are super important mm. and we shouldn't uh like scrap the old educational system and just use computers or smartphones or whatever um but if we can use it as a complement in Uganda, for example, one of the big problems is that classes are really big. Like there yes. can be 80 students in a class or more sometimes. And uh, there's no chance that each child can get the support that they need from mm. the teacher. We have a problem with that even here in, in Sweden. Yeah. With two big classes. Yeah. Or at least, yeah. In, 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 but still we have at least... We have that to some extent, like the teacher talks to every student one-on-one mm, mm. -on -one now and then, and you kind of has an idea of how everyone is doing. Yes, um, they would like more time, yeah. but maybe there they really need more time uh, yeah. with the students. Yeah, I mean, in Uganda, there's not, I don't think it's very much one-to-one -one conversations mm. at all, mm. because it's just not possible. Uh, so just giving this, uh, and we know that there are parents who feel like they want to support their kids but they don't really if you're if you can't afford the the good private schools then there aren't really that many options so and that that's kind of the segment that we're trying to reach and that it can work as a complement to school in that way and i think it matters uh, what technology it is mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. about using technology any technology yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that's something that annoys me a lot about the Swedish debate around like digitalization in schools, for example, because it's it's all about like all or nothing or using computers or not using computers, but it's not really about that. It's like about how you use it. Yes, which technology for what reason and and how exactly? Yeah, and what's the the effect on our social interactions on the human? Basically, what's the effect on the human? And I, I liked how you started your answer with technology is not the solution. It's a part of the solution. That's really it. And what I personally like and what you can really see in your case is, like you were talking about before, scalability. Yeah. Technology or a product like this is really something you can scale. So you can work, set it up from here in Stockholm, work towards Uganda and then scale to several markets where the problem, uh, where there is a problem. Exactly. That's uh, 
really our other focus, our one focus is, like I said before, like localization and the other focus is scalability. Yes. So it's, it seems it seems kind of like opposites, but it's really, I think we've found a way to do both. So we've talked a little bit about your academic path and your upbringing and your venture into entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm, I'm really holding my thumbs for this product. I think it's a great way of tackling uh, this problem of, um, could you say, democratizing education? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We're also, I didn't mention that, but it's actually an open source platform. There so, we go. And that's kind of also part of the scalability thought. Yeah. So um, anyone can actually contribute to it. Should we do another <laughs> plug here? <laughs> Where do they find? Uh, well, they can go to uh, GitHub and search Chichesa and they'll probably find it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so outside of all of this, you were talking earlier yeah. about you try to focus on your PhD, but it, you couldn't uh, stick to just doing that. So you started Chichesa. And now you're also a part of the Pirate Party. Yes. Tell us a little bit about how you came into this and your position there and what you do. Uh, yeah, so it was actually in 2014. There were both the EU elections and the national elections in yes, Sweden. Yeah. So it was a very political year. And I, I could kind of, uh, I actually was really sad, kind of upset about the political conversations mm. that I had. I, or they weren't really conversations. It was more about uh, throwing shit at each yeah, other the you climate know? in large was really negative and yeah uh, not productive yeah exactly not productive at all and i couldn't see anyone having any visions or having any real like analysis of a lot of these big changes that are happening in society with like automation and digitalization the possibilities with have come with with that and with mm. the internet and mm. so on and um how it's like the ideologies that we have are old and they're not made for today. They're made for some other <laughs> time. Um, and then I somehow got into a blog post by Anna Troberg, who was then uh, the party leader of the Pirate Party. And it was like, huh, this is actually something that I can agree on. There's a, I could actually see uh, like that we had a common view on, on the things happening in society yeah. and I could also see that they actually had a an idea of how one could do oh yeah it, it sounds like a more solution oriented approach rather than I think what happens is we get so much stuck in our fears and mm. with that we focus on the problem and enhancing the fears so it really never becomes uh productive it's yeah. all like really reactive. And like you said, our ideologies are not really adapted for today. Yeah, I think you're totally correct that it's, it's, it's very uh, reactive yeah. uh, today, that, uh, that something happens and then all the political parties has to do something yes. and show that they are, have ideas yeah. on how to solve this. And then it's also very, what do you say, they're stuck in this kind of close view on single issues rather than like taking a step back looking at the bigger picture yes. what what are the maybe bigger reasons behind things how are things connected yes. like yes i love what you say there and finding <laughs> collaborations in that so okay we have this problem here but we have another solution from a totally different industry or field or discipline how can these interact and solve this problem here and finding the intersecting solutions 
yeah, definitely. And it's also about actually finding the root of the problem because it's it's uh, kind of then you kind of have to take a step back because usually it's not this root of the problem is usually not obvious. I think we're getting back to your how you learned that systematic ap- approach at <laughs> yeah <laughs> like uh, uh, causation and correlation the difference between there yeah absolutely and trying to apply that in politics yeah. as well <laughs> and how are you doing that so you found this post uh, how did you get involved and yeah so I that then after reading that post I just went into and read everything I could find about the pirate party mm-hmm. and then I became a member on the same day okay because <laughs> it felt like okay. I can agree with 90% of this and that's way more than any of the other parties. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you find? What's if you're to pitch again, what's the pitch for the pirate party? Mm. I don't know what it was then because no. it was more like uh, reading their program and saying, "Hmm, yeah, this seems right." Yeah, this seems right, you know. Yeah. Uh but one thing was that it was it felt like they they cared about that it should be evidence-based politics. Mm. So mm. that's one thing that's really important to me. Um and one thing is that um they talk a lot about uh openness and transparency and also giving people a stronger power over their own lives oh, yeah. uh, what do you call it like agency. Um, empow- yeah agency yeah. empowerment um and uh that was also th- something that i could relate to yeah i can second that as well yeah definitely empowering the individual in in the individual pursuit of fulfillment uh we are a society with collective uh, a collective of people but we're also individuals in that with our pursuit so if our individual pursuit can be in line with our global objectives that's something to aim for yeah and especially since we're kind of part of a system it's yes. of course like society is a system but we don't want the system to co- totally control us of course it's there to it it will limit us to some extent because we have it means we have laws yes. and there are things that you you can cannot do kind of and that's where compassion or empathy i guess comes in where you can't do what you yeah. want to do because that affects your neighbor and the closest person yeah and we've kind of agreed on 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 that, that yeah. there should be limits but for the rest of the system we don't want we we don't want it to to control us more than it has to we want there to be freedom to be creativeness and people being able to to be who they are as well so uh yeah there were a lot of those kind of things that that caught my attention there yeah. and um and I'm guessing you got deeply involved because you have a different position than just a member today uh, yeah it was, at first like two years i I was just a member and also it wasn't ha- there wasn't happening a lot in the party because just after the elections in 2014 uh, Anna Tro the party leader at that time she actually quit and like half of the board quit there were ah. internal conflicts uh, I wasn't aware of any of that then but so the activity in the party was really going down to almost nothing uh, and the party was without a party leader for almost a year but then like uh, so so there wasn't much news coming about it and I didn't it was after the elections I didn't think that much about it then but then uh, things started happening you started getting the member emails and then we got to the um yearly what is it called yearly meeting yeah. uh, member meeting and one could nominate people for the board mm. and i was thinking should i 
I got the idea that maybe I should nominate myself for the board because <laughs> it seems like a stu- like weird thing to do. Like in most parties, that's something you do when you've been involved for a long time. Okay. But this is a, this is a small party, and also I have. Since I had the board experience from before, I had yeah. uh, project management experience. So I thought, I think I can do a better work uh, or be more useful in the board mm-hmm. than, for example, as an activist. I get that. So yeah. smart decision to nominate yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds so, like you really did the right thing there. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, so I, yeah, I got elected in a way. And um, so... That was in 2016, so three years ago. Yeah. And one year later, I was nominated for vice um, party leader. So there you have the receipt. (laughs) You did the the right thing in (laughs) nominating yourself. Yeah, I did. So I've been that for two years. Yeah. What does that entail? What what do you do? So officially, it's just that, well, I'm part of the party leadership group, or we say. And also that if our party leader leaves, I'm taking his place kind of yeah. <laughs> um but it means like practically it means that i've been more involved yeah it's just uh, it's a lot of fun we're a good really wonderful small but wonderful group working with us uh week to week and uh we've been making a lot of progress from that kind of bottom after this uh after the after 2014 uh, so it's really very rewarding and what are like your your um, key questions or like right now, what's the message you're trying to get out and what change both? I'm guessing you're having a, a bottoms up approach. It sounds like a really participatory party, but also, of course, you're within the politics. So you're also wor- working top down. So what are your two messages both ways? Yeah, that's uh, you really putting the finger on the right uh, spot here, because that's a challenge that I think the party has had uh, traditionally, that we, the policies that we want are often about like participation and and freedom and, uh, you know, and we want to be a party where the members have a lot to say. They should have, they should have the power. But if you do only that or do that too much or do it in the wrong way, then you get nowhere because there are a lot of different views within the party. So you you still kind of need a strong leadership. It should be a listening leadership, though, that really takes in what members want and trying to to use that in the best way. But you still need a direction. So we're actually right now working a lot on that. I I can uh, also tell you that actually we had our current party leader is uh, leaving his position at the end of 2019. All right. Uh, and we just had elections last week. Uh, and <laughs> ta-da. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, damn. Let, so, me, <laughs> let me change my tone. I'm sitting here with a party leader. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so it's actually... Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Congratulations. Wow. So, so uh, from uh, January, I will lead the pirate party. You were talking about like um, the participatory part. And I've thought about this, like when I've dabbled in politics, just uh, mentally um, of technical solutions. I'm not saying technology is a solution, <laughs> but a part of the solution. I, I can see the Pirate Party having a platform with all the questions and all the issues that you're interested or, or working on and your members easily, continuously 
being able to go in and, and sub-vote on each question. And you get like data and you can be really data-driven and database. I see you smiling now. Is this something <laughs> you're working yeah, on? Yeah, I'm smiling because it's really not working like that right now. It's okay. terrible. Okay. I mean, our... I mean, my view is the same. It should yeah. be like that. Yeah. And we need uh, those kind of systems. And I know that there are uh, pirate parties in other countries yeah. because uh, that, that are working more like this. Mm. Um, like the Czech Pirate Party, they are very successful. They have like 15% and they're the biggest opposition party. They've been doing very well, working a lot on anti-corruption, mm. for example. I think their main like point in because in Czech Republic that's really a problem mm-hmm. with corruption, and they have uh, are working with these tools. But our since we've been kind of the last few years just trying to kind of start building up the organization again after falling apart, we we haven't really updated the kind of IT systems okay. that we've been working on. So our IT systems are actually not working very well. But we are right now working on, uh, have a strategic working group working on our IT systems to yeah. update them and to hopefully have something like that. That would be uh, beautiful because I can see you're able to go in and place your votes. And of course, you do it in a way that it's interactive and fun and people want to be involved. And then you can also display like over time, have an interactive display <laughs> of the, the different votes and statistics. And how you, and then follow up, how you are working against that. And maybe like if you do a podcast or whatever, I would like a political party leader to have a podcast and, and just talk openly and update of what you're doing. And we actually do have that kind of, not a podcast, yeah. but we have a Twitch, yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah, Pirate TV, which is not actually run by the party, It's a, uh, but it's run by a supporter. S- yeah, yeah, that kind of um, sympathies with a pirate. So it's um, like we say in Swedish, Uber and the independent uh, yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah. but uh, here the newspapers are often like independently liberal, but independent, mm, you know? And, yes. But this TV channel is independent oh. pirate. Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah. I get uh, it. Yeah. It's so. Uh, so we do that and we try to have an open conversation all the time. But yeah, we'll see if maybe the systems won't be that advanced to start with because no, we're not an IT. <laughs> we don't have, first of all, we don't have uh, money. Like we don't get uh, financial support from the state or anything. We're completely dependent on dona- donations from our members. Yes. So we have to use our money carefully, mm-hmm. which means we're using mostly open source solutions, which is also very um, connected to our ideals kind yes. of. And then you have to say what is out there. What can we use? Uh, so uh, you can have the dream image, yeah, but then yeah, like the you goal. have practical life. Yes, yeah. you build the MVP. Yeah. I'm really excited. I got myself excited about that <laughs> idea because I can see. So you're taking, talking about the Czech party being 15%. So let's say you implement this at the Pirate Party in Sweden today. Uh, you have thousands of users using it. As you grow as a party, let's say you also become 15% here take all of uh, the Sweden Democrats shares and <laughs> grow, grow beyond. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a lot of people in Sweden then being involved, like actively mm. being involved in the questions daily. Mm. I can see that, okay, wow, it's working. Let's implement this on a state level, mm. uh, this system uh, where it's not, it's not like, because we have a problem. Uh, I think there's a problem globally with voting. Everyone's not voting. But if we got this digital tool, which is not voting, 
like the official vote that we don't want to do digitally because there's risk with that. But if it's a system where it's continuously updating people's thoughts and ideas and mm. what they want to do and believe in yeah. and getting that data, displaying that data, updating our work on how we're working with that. Yeah. Like, I think one of your biggest points is transparency. Yeah. I see this being transparent and inclusive. I agree. And I, I'm so glad that you mentioned transparency because I really think that's like the fun, fundamental, maybe I should say method mm. to create trust. I mean, and, and trust is like the most important things. It's in politics, just as in any relationship, like you can't have a, a, a good uh, productive or good relationship if oh, you don't yeah. have trust. Oh, yeah. And um, even if it's a private relationship between two people or if it's the relationship between a business and its customers or between politicians and the people that they are representing. If you don't have trust, then uh, it's not going to go well. <laughs> Definitely. That's so true. Yeah. That's really uh, spot on. Yeah. And transparency is how we can achieve that to totally be open with, with how, how we work and like everything from uh, politicians being open with what uh, lobbyists are they meeting or whatever, all these kind of things, but also taking in the views of, of the people yes. in, a, in a good way. What's your favorite innovation throughout history? Oh, you know what? I, this morning when I was reading through your questions yeah. on beforehand and I was having breakfast and I read that one and then I went and changed my T-shirt. So I'm actually wearing um, my oh, nerdiest T-shirt today. Let me see. <laughs> you can't see it. You can't see it through the podcast, but it's, um, it has Maxwell's equations on them. It says, uh, let me see from the top, <laughs> James Clerk Maxwell's equations yeah. and there's a lot of equations <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, i think um i'll put up a picture of that in conjunction with the episode okay yeah. good good yeah uh, so james clerk maxwell is probably the physicist who who has been most important for the development during the 20th century because he was the one who was connecting theory of magnetism with the theory of uh, electricity mm. uh, to create electromagnetic theory which is like the fundamental of all the electronics technology development that we've had in the last century. So uh, you always hear about, like, in, of course, physicists know about Maxwell, but uh, in general, people don't. They know about Newton and they know about Einstein. Yes. <laughs> uh, but they should also know about Maxwell. So what I wanted to answer to this question was electricity. Yeah. Uh, if I'll... that's counts as an innovation. Definitely. I and I love that you went deeper with the answer <laughs> and told us about more about Maxwell. Yeah. You got me really excited about diving deeper into <laughs> his work and his story. And maybe we could retell that in some way here at Learnability. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to write a book that would be read by all young adults in the world, what would be the title and subtitle of that book? Actually, I think it's already been written. Mm -hmm. I read it recently. The Have you read Factfulness by Hans Rosling? I have it at home. I haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> you should. <laughs> yeah, I will. Everyone actually should read that one because yes. I think what he's talking about is 100% true. It's about like how you can be, how can make you, you can try to not be wrong about the world, mm. <laughs> I would just say. 
because uh, we always have a uh, usually have a very limited worldview that's mm. outdated, that's not correct. And he's kind of giving you 10 principles to kind of follow to try to or 10 instincts mm. that we have that mm. we should be careful with. Yes. Because they usually make us make wrong decisions. Yeah, that's a good pitch for the book because there's an interpretation being done when we get facts about the world. And that interpretation can either be positive or negative or reactive or proactive. So this is sort of to help you navigate in that. Yeah. And it's also like uh, the the information that we get through, for example, media is often, uh, often it's extreme in the sense that it's it's the the extreme happenings not the 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 quick changes and the extreme happenings that are of news value and also things that kind of make us scared for example the majority is negative definitely yeah and uh you don't see all the long-term positive changes for example so you get this very very limited view of the world uh that makes you so it's like both for politicians Mm. for business people if you want to succeed you have to look at the actual facts not at what's presented to you the surface uh, yeah yeah good pitch (laughs) (laughs) so in the last five years what new beliefs behaviors or habit has most improved your life so i'm very something i was kind of struggling with when i was uh, when i was doing research because i actually didn't finish my phd I quit halfway. I did the licentiate degree, which is like which is like a halfway degree, and then I quit. But it took a while. I was doing research for like three and a half years, but I didn't really enjoy it. I was kind of trying to quit earlier, but then I was. It's like this um, feeling of uh, failure that's kind of limiting. That that made me not quit earlier because it felt like if I quit, I, I fail. And then I didn't leave a situation that I actually didn't enjoy. So kind of, but getting to the insights that I can actually make the choices that I, that I feel is right for me and not caring about what other people see as a yes. failure. And I don't know if it's, I'm, yeah, and, and after... And I think that that process of getting to that decision that I can actually quit and still not be a failure <laughs> is very was very very good for me, and it has helped me in other situations as well. I can think in the same way, and it's it's fascinating how many people like the, when I told them that I quit my PhD, how many were answering with, "Oh, but you can continue when if you mm. want, right?" That was like the first reaction from so many. And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's not because I don't like the physics, because I really do. No, it's about maybe you finding a better alignment with what you actually want to do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's really a great insight in believing in yourself and daring to follow your instincts or your your feeling and Mm. walking your path. Yeah. So lastly... What are you eager to learn within the near future? Oh, yeah, I don't think we even got to this, but right now I'm I'm teaching. I'm I'm studying this complementary teacher education right yes. now, actually. <laughs> so I'm out in a school with uh, teaching fourteen and fifteen year olds about math and physics. Wow, uh, which is uh, exciting. Yeah, 
and I am really so what I'm trying to learn right now is how to be able to be even better at communicating and engaging people in learning oh, yeah. like you do yeah. also here. <laughs> um and uh, it's very good practice to do that on 14 and 50 year olds. Definitely. <laughs> I think actually that's how before starting learnability mm. that was my approach. It's they were let's say 15 to 18. Mm-hmm. I started lecturing. So going mm. out talking about it was marked as entrepreneurship mm. but really was what I was talking about was self-education and learnability. Mm. So having to formulate it and edutain them. I love that term. So you're yeah. educating and entertaining at the same time. Yeah. That taught me a lot about like how to connect and and uh, do, do this type of stuff yeah so that's a good uh, <laughs> <laughs> thing yeah it is and I think I can that's something that I need also in my role as a uh, party leader yes. now uh, so uh, that's another thing I'm, I'm I'm gonna learn in that role I think is uh, of yes. course you never f- I don't feel ready for it absolutely not but that's <laughs> what I think you are <laughs> but it feels okay because yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll learn as I go keep on growing into to the role as well yes and expanding the role yeah, yeah. and uh, being I think uh, the role is not uh, yeah the role is not fixed every different uh, people see different uh, a different mission in mm. it I think and you have to change it according to what you can do and Mm. what you believe that you should do exciting i'm really excited as i said to follow the progress forward and i hope i can have you back Mm. on the podcast to follow up yeah sure i'd love to be back (laughs) thank you thank you so much thank you learnability podcast is produced by levels working in the fields of digital transformation innovation product development and venture If you want to know more about us, visit at wearelevels.com. And oh yeah, if you want to find additional material and contribute to the platform, you can do that at learnability.online. That's learnability.online. Looking forward to getting in touch with you. 